This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Go to first epistle to Timothy. First uh, Timothy, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, first and second Thessalonians, first Timothy. Just want to read just a couple of verses here and also in Titus. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. To Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And then in Titus, which is just over a little bit, Paul, a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before time began, but has in time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. In all of Paul's letters, he begins with a greeting, a salutation, and typically he greeted his readers with a blessing. Grace and peace to you. And he chose that because it fits both Greeks and Jews. Because he used that in all of his, only there's a variation on it, but grace and peace was the two words he used the most. And these two words, grace and peace, uh, first of all, grace appealed to the Greeks because the word they used was carrying, which was simply greetings. And Paul improved upon that and called it charis, which is grace. So rather than say greetings to you, he would say grace to you. The words were quite similar, but grace is a deeper meaning, obviously. And then, of course, the Jews, when they would meet each other, they would say shalom, which is simply peace, prosperity, blessings. And so from God comes grace, which gives us peace. If we live in his grace, then we will have his peace. However, when Paul wrote his pastoral letters, First and Second Timothy and Titus, he adds mercy into the mix. Grace, mercy, and peace. Why? Why when writing to these two pastors does he make it a triple blessing? Well, Timothy and Titus were two young pastors. Uh, most believe that Timothy was about 30-ish, and Titus probably a little bit older than that. Not much, but a little bit. And these were two men that Paul had previously led to the Lord, my true son in the faith. So these were converts of Paul that he had saved or led to the Lord. He had mentored, uh, he had taught, he had blessed. Uh, he helped them. Uh, they were both gifted men. They were both blessed by God. And uh, he took them with him where he would go places. They would be with him. Sometimes he would send them on ahead. Sometimes he would send them to Corinth on different missions on his behalf. And so these were two wonderful young men that he had won to Christ. 
But on the way back one time from a missionary journey, uh, Paul had heard about trouble in the church at Ephesus, and so he delegated Timothy to go to Ephesus to be the pastor there. Now, you have to understand that Ephesus was a huge city. I mean, it was, the, it was probably the most famous Greek city, and now the Romans have it, and so it's the, it's the, it's the capital of the Roman province of Asia. Uh, it, was a, it was a great trading place. It had libraries. It had baths. It had great colonnades down the street. It had wonderful uh, things. But most of all, it was given over to the worship of Diana or Artemis. And it had a temple there built for Artemis, Diana, the god of the Ephesians, which was the seven, one of the seven wonders of the world. And so this was a, a major, major city. And consequently, Paul has spent three, almost three years in this city and had built up a great church. And probably this was the biggest church uh, in, the, in, in the Christian field. This was the, the biggest church. And so this was a big charge that he was given to this young man, Timothy. Uh, not only that, of course, uh, but this city was given over wholly uh, to licentious and sensual worship of Diana of the Ephesians. Uh, there was a, an amphitheater there that held 25,000 people. It was a massive place, totally given over to the idolatry. Uh, there was people there making all kinds of little ornaments for Diana. People would come from all over the world to see this wonder of the world and to buy all these ornaments. You remember Paul got into trouble with Demetrius the silversmith and how that he was losing his trade because Paul was getting so many people won to Christ. They were given up and they were burning their, their occult books and all the rest of it. And so this was a big charge that he was putting this young man, uh, Timothy, into. And to step into to Paul's boots, can you imagine that? I mean, Paul was there for almost three years. To, to step into his boots just as a young man, uh, this was a big, big ask indeed. And along with this, there was problems of false teachers. These false teachers had arisen inside the church. Oftentimes, the false teachers came from the outside, but on these occasions, they came from the inside, which was much more troublesome. And he writes about this in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says, men like Hymenaeus and Alexander, whose faith was now shipwrecked, and they were shipwrecked in the faith of many, many others. And so Paul excommunicates them, hands them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And there's a possibility that maybe these had been elders or deacons, who had been involved in the church, but who had veered away from the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. I say that because in chapter 3, Paul instructs Timothy uh, of the caliber of elders that there should be in the church, what is expected of those in leadership. By the way, he does the same with, with Titus 2, and he gives it in more detail. And it's a very, very high standard indeed, as it should be. And so the church of Ephesus was going through very turbulent times, turbulent waters, and they needed somebody at the helm. And the Apostle Paul thought that this young man, Timothy, uh, would be the one. And even though he gave him that charge, uh, and even though Timothy gladly accepted the charge, but it would seem that Timothy was a, a kind of a timid young man. Because in 2 Timothy 1 and 7, uh, he says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear or timidity, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so he maybe wasn't quite a confrontationist. There's major issues in this church that had to be dealt with. And, uh, and so Paul maybe is encouraging him, don't be afraid. In fact, 
At one point he says, let nobody despise your youth. Right, so he, he, was, he was putting in a position of great authority. He was making sure he could handle it. Maybe that's why he admonished him in 2 Timothy 2.3, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And so it was going to be a tough situation that he was going to be facing, and he was going to have to tough it out sometimes and just put the head down and the shoulder to the weight and get on with it, no matter how tough it was. He also seemed to have physical problems, did Timothy. 1 Timothy 5.23, Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your often infirmities. Now, every drunk in the country could quote you that verse. <laughs> we all know that verse off by heart. <laughs> I think there's a lot of people should stop taking wine for their stomach's sake. They'd lay off it. And then on top of that, they were losing members. People were backsliding. People were getting caught up in this false teaching, getting sucked into it. Uh, now, remember that when we say that the church at Ephesus, and, uh, they had no church buildings. I mean, in the, the first century, church didn't have church buildings. They met in homes. The larger the home, the better you get more into it, but they met in homes. So the church was spread out over the whole city. So I say it's a large church, but it's spread out. And so... It was easier, I suppose, to these false teachers to rise up to infiltrate these home groups, as it were. Uh, in fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it's on to say, verse 6, For those are this sort who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. And so you can see there is big problems within this church. In Revelation chapter 2, later on, when Jesus uh, stands in the midst of the seven churches, uh, you'll see that he, he rebuked Ephesus because they had left their first love. So I'm saying all this to show you one of the reasons why he added mercy, grace, mercy, and peace to you, because they were going to need it, because this was a tough station that this young man had inherited. Also Titus. Titus, on the other hand, he was a Gentile believer. Uh, Timothy's mother uh, was a Jewess. His father was a Greek. But Titus, on the other hand, was just a Gentile believer. And he was given the task of residing over the church at Crete. And the church at Crete probably had grown out of Pentecost because there was Cretans at Pentecost and who had saved, came back, probably started up, you know, and church began to grow. But it lacked leadership, it lacked structure, and Paul is putting Titus in charge to bring some stability to it because it was as loose as a goose, as we would say, and so it needed some structure, it needed leadership, it needed good leadership to be involved. And not only that, but Crete had a reputation. It really had a bad reputation. Now, there's some nations and there's some nationalities 
And uh, they're noted for certain things. We know that the Germans, for instance, we know that for industry and for engineering. And uh, we know, say, the Japanese or the Koreans would be, they'd be innovative and inventive, and they'd be good with high-tech stuff. A lot of that comes from there. And so different nations are good for different things. But it seems to be that these Cretans, it seemed to be, well, whenever you read a little bit about them here, uh, it, it's not very pleasant. <laughs> they were called gluttons and lazy bellies. <laughs> Lustful people. I mean, they're having a good reputation. And so in the midst of all of that here, Titus has inherited this church that's a, that's a bit of a shambles, actually. And he's going to have to go there, and he's going to have to deal with issues. He's going to have to put structure in and leaders in, and he's going to have to tell them what they, is required of a leader. And you can read that in Titus. It's a good read if you tend to take the time just to do that. Uh, by the way, Second Timothy... Uh, by this time, Paul has been imprisoned. He's writing this at least a year after 1 Timothy. And he's been imprisoned, he's awaiting his trial and his subsequent execution. And so these are his last days when he's writing this second letter. And so in this letter, he's assuring Timothy of his love for him and also uh, assuring him of the mutual love that they have for each other. And uh, he doesn't deal much with the with the false teachers in the second letter. He's dealt with that in the first letter, but he's encouraging Timothy by reminding him of his spiritual heritage that he had through his mother Lois and his grandmother, uh, or his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. So he's reminding him of his spiritual heritage. His dad was a Greek. We don't know if his dad was saved or not, but certainly in the female side, they certainly were. And so Paul's reminding him of that. Hey, you've got a godly heritage here. And he's also reminding him, of course, of this call that's in his life and, and the faithfulness that he had. And not only that, but how he was faithful to him, to Paul. In fact, Timothy was probably one of the best friends that Paul ever had. He really was. And, uh, and in 2 Timothy, Paul is feeling very lonely. He's imprisoned. He's waiting his trial. He knows things is not going well. He knows he's probably for the chop. And he's writing this here, and he's lonely. He's on his own, virtually, not much around him. And he, he writes, and he says, all those in Asia have turned away from me. Can you imagine that? All, his, all the ones he knew, maybe led to the Lord. Now he's in prison, they all turn away from him. Including fellow helpers like Phygelus and Hermogenes. He says, only Onesiphorus. He says, he came to Rome, he says, and, and blessed me. He offered refresh me. He's not right now, he says, only Luke is with me. But he says, get Mark and bring him with you when you come to visit me. And then 2 Timothy 4.12, he says, and Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus probably as a replacement for Timothy because he wanted Timothy to come and be with him in his last days in Rome. So that tells you much about this young man, that the aged apostle, knowing these are his last days, wants this young man especially to come to him and spend these days with him to bring him comfort and encouragement. So both these young men have got great challenges and even though they uh, have come to Christ through Paul and even though they're gifted for ministry, even though they are men of God in their own right, but they're in a very difficult season. It's a difficult time in their lives. Paul, their spiritual mentor, is going to die. 
The pastorates that they inherited were extremely challenging, to say the least. So there's plenty of opportunity to be discouraged, plenty of opportunity to be overwhelmed just by the size of the task. And all the preaching and teaching they were to do, all the, the leadership administration they were to do, the, the, the calling of elders and, and finding out who would be the best elders, all of that was falling upon very young shoulders. And on top of that, they were losing members left, right, and center. And they were battling these false teachers. They were contending for the faith in an unbelieving world. No wonder Paul writes to them and encourages and admonishes them. And so he says, grace, mercy, and peace to you. Amen. In other words, I think what he was saying, I know you feel overwhelmed. I know you probably feel inadequate. I know it's a daunting task, but you can do this. You can, because of God's grace and his mercy and his peace, you can handle this. Others have deserted me. Others have walked away from the callings, but not you. Others have walked away, but you've stood your ground. You have stood tall. You're still fighting the good fight of faith. You're still laying hold of eternal life. So there is more than enough of God's grace and mercy and peace to get you through this season. Now, I said all of that to come to this point. Every one of us, whether you're a ministry, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a platform person or not, every one of us goes through difficult seasons in life. All of us have our own particular peculiar challenges in life. All of us face the vicissitudes of life. All of us have difficult dark times. All of us has to face that. And that's when we need the grace and the mercy and the peace of God. If ever we need it, that's when we need it. In those times, we need God's mercy. We need his mercy to keep us strong, to keep us from falling, to keep us from stumbling. We need God's mercy. What did the psalmist say? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I think it was old Spurgeon said, goodness, that takes care of my steps. Mercy, that takes care of my stumbles. And even if you stumble, even if you stumble, the mercy of God will be there to pick you up. Amen. Glory to God. Amen. The equivalent word for mercy that Paul uses here in the Hebrew, as he said, H-E-S-E-D, he said, which is used lots of times in the Psalms, and here's what it means. It means to help those who feel helpless, to help those who cannot help themselves. Timothy and Titus at times will be feeling, I'm helpless. How can I do this? This is a lot. This is a mountain to climb. But he says God's peace and God's mercy and God's grace will see you through. You know, I believe there's a special mercy for you in your most difficult time. There's a mercy that comes to you in your most difficult time. When you feel overwhelmed, when you feel this is too much, I could hardly go on another day. There's a mercy that comes to you in Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace. God's triple blessing. Grace, not only saving grace, but enabling grace. Grace upon grace that John speaks of in John 16, 1 16. The more grace that James speaks of in James 4 6. The manifold grace that Peter speaks of in 1 Peter 4 10. 
there's a grace and there's a peace. The peace with God that Paul speaks of in Romans 5 and 1. We have peace with God because of what Christ has done. But then there's a peace of God that Jesus said he would give to us. Let not your heart be troubled, let it be afraid. Remember he said that? And then he goes on to talk about his peace. My peace I give unto you. My peace. And then there's mercy. Psalm 136, 26 times he talks about the mercy of God that endures forever. Glory to God. And I love Ephesians 2, 4. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us. And so Paul writes to them and says, Grace, mercy, and peace to you. What a lovely greeting. Eh? What a lovely greeting. Yes, grace to you. God's unmerited favor to you. Yes, the peace of God to you. Yes, the mercy of God to you. We tend to think, do we not, of mercy only in the sense of forgiveness. We've sinned, so we need his mercy. We've messed up, so we need his mercy. We've fallen again, so we need his mercy. But Paul here is nowhere suggesting that either Timothy or Titus had messed up or had fallen or had sinned. It's just they were in a hard place. It's just the task, the job was big. It was going to be a struggle. They would need the grace of God, the peace of God, but above all, they would need the mercy of God. And just the way that grace enables us and strengthens us, because it does, 1 Corinthians 15 and 10, Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, because I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. So everything we do as believers, all our work for Christ is by the grace of God. It's by his grace in us. 1 Peter 4 and 10, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And so likewise, in the difficult seasons of life, we need God's mercy. Help to those who feel helpless, Help for those who at that moment cannot help themselves. Just when you needed that added strength, just when you needed that extra encouragement, just when you needed that pick-me-up, just when you needed that spiritual injection, that's when the mercy of God comes in. I'm sure I've told you this before. I was talking to somebody this recently. I don't know if it was from this pulpit or talking to somebody privately. So if I've said it before, you'll forgive me, won't me, before I go away. You're not holding it against me, sure you won't. Some years ago, I was in a, a season of fasting. And I was on a protracted fast. And I'm not talking about days, I'm talking about weeks. And three quarters of the way through it, and I remember that night, I was lying on top of my bed. I was fully dressed. It was prayer meeting night. I was lying on top of the bed, and I never felt as low in my life. Physically, I was drained to the dregs. I had no energy. There was no life in me. I was wrecked. Spiritually, I never felt lower at that point. Mentally, I was just tired and weary. And I, I, honestly, I was on the verge of saying, you know what, I can't do another day. I'm, I'm done. And suddenly my phone rang. And it was a brother who we hadn't talked for 
six months, a year, I can't, it, was, it was a long time. Had no idea what I was doing, anything, and I didn't tell him. He says, David, I'm calling you because I feel led to call you tonight. And I can't remember the exact words, but it was more or less, what you're doing, keep doing. I don't know what it is, but what you're doing, keep doing it. Just keep on doing it. And do you know what? When he said something like that, it just lifted me. And that was the mercy of God when I needed it the most. And it lifted my spirit. And I tell you, I went to the prayer meeting that night. I was a different man. And that heaviness and that weariness and that tiredness and all that stuff, all that negativity, it just left, gone. And I went to the prayer meeting that night with spring in the step. Because that was the mercy of God just came in. When I needed it the most, it came to me. And you're the same when you need the mercy of God. What area of your life today do you need God's mercy? What are you facing that requires that extra added strength and encouragement? And I know personally what some of us are going through and are facing, and it's tough. It's really, really tough. And that's the time when God's mercy will come through again and again. So here we are, we're facing a new year, a new decade. And I want you tonight to be assured that God who is rich in mercy, with which of his great love he has loved us, will be your source of strength in the days that lie ahead. Whenever you're tired and you're weary and you find it difficult and you just want to hide Say, God, I need your mercy today. I need your mercy. And God, who's a merciful God, will give it to you. He'll pour it into you. He'll find a way. It may be a phone call. It may be a letter. It may be somebody come alongside. It may somebody put their arm around you. It may be a word that you'll get. It may be a verse that'll leap out of the Bible. It may be a song that you'll play. And suddenly the mercy of God will come into your life at that moment and pick you up and encourage you and give you the strength that you need to go on. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you tonight for your goodness for the many blessings that you have bestowed upon our lives over many years, most of us. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy and your peace. And Lord, that's what I pray for my brothers and sisters tonight in this house, that your grace and mercy and peace will follow them all the days of their life. And Lord, that they'll feel the strength of God come into them when they face that crisis when they face that difficult moment, when they feel they cannot go on another hour, I pray for the mercy of God to touch their lives, physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, in every area. And Lord, that you will lift them up and give them wings, Lord, and help them, Lord, to soar above this situation. Lord, bless and strengthen tonight. Touch, heal, minister, do whatever needs to be done to us and for us and through us. And Lord, we'll be careful that you may get the glory. So Lord, let your mercy, Lord, pervade every life tonight and let it prevail over every situation. And we'll look to you and we'll give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content. 
available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal, or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.